just want to mention a few things by way of announcement. One is we've been announcing the Red Cross blood drive that we would like to host here, but they need a minimum number of names that indicate that you'd be willing to participate if you can, if it falls on a date that you can come, that kind of thing. They want a minimum of 45. I was just told we have 44. And uh, Brian has the sheet. So what we'd like to do is have as many names as possible. So if we get an additional 10 or 15, we'll send in the 54 or 59 names and just let them know we have more than enough. So that's going to circulate starting over here, and it also has the couple of sheets on which a number of you have already registered. So you can, if you forgot whether you did, you can see if your name's on there. If it's not and you're willing, then please uh, put your name and phone number and email, I think, or what, what are on there. So Brian's going to circulate that and then uh, pick it up uh, at the end of our time, and then we'll let the Red Cross know what we have. So that's one announcement. And then the other two relate to our Vacation Bible School that is coming up August 5 through 9 in the evenings here. And for that, we've, we're thrilled with how many people have stepped up and said, I want to be a part of it. There are people over here weekly doing things to prepare for it, like preparing props and sets and all of that, building stuff and painting stuff. So for our first Vacation Bible School, we're excited about it, and we think it's going to, going to be, uh, come off very well. But we need a couple of things. One, we want to invite the community to come. And we're planning to do that by means of door hangers. And we're going to do that this coming Saturday at 10 a.m. Saturday at 10 a.m. So if you can help with that, it'll be not more than two hours. We'll meet here, give you a map of the blocks we want you to do in the neighborhood here, give some instructions. The instructions are very important because we give instructions about not knocking on people's doors, not going to doors that say no solicitors and that kind of stuff, not walking on the grass, not as you walk up, you know, without thinking about it, you're looking in their door, you know, they got the door open and you're, you know, Bugs Bunny's on and you, that's the one episode of Bugs Bunny that you missed in your life and so you're watching that. So not, none of that stuff. So we have actually a number of things beyond those to recommend to you, to suggest to you as instructions. So that's important. And I say that to you so that if you're reticent to do this, and I, I understand, uh, we're not going around banging on doors bothering people. Uh, we're simply hanging these. If people happen to be outside, ask them if it's okay. If we hang it on the door, give it to them. If they say no, say thanks and have a good day and move on to the next one, okay? So it's just getting those out there, and so we just need bodies for that. And if you can be one of those bodies, that would be uh, this Saturday at 10 o'clock here. Now, we would like to know who's uh, coming so that we know that we've got enough bodies for it. Uh, I'm quite sure we will, actually, uh, because we've already had a number of people uh, volunteer. Uh, but if you can help, that'd be terrific. And the more people we have, the less time it'll take. So instead of two hours, it may just take an hour to, to get it done, okay? So if you can do that, let us know, and let us know at an email address, outreach at cbctrenton.com, outreach at cbctrenton.com. So that's one item for VBS, advertising at this Saturday. The other one is some supplies that are needed for the VBS. And we have slips of paper on a table with a display on it that have the items that are needed. So you can stop by there before you leave today and pick up one or more of those slips and then purchase the item this week. You have to pick it up today and you have to purchase the stuff this week. It is due one week from today because people are going to then go and... Uh, and wait a minute, I just, Jenny, 
we need it a week from today because people are going to go and purchase it. Did you talk? Gotcha. Thank you. So you purchase whatever you picked up. You bring it in next uh, Sunday. Then an inventory will be done against what all we need. We'll know what we still need so that we can go shop for the remainder. And we need time to do that. Therefore, the, uh, the items that you purchase need to be here one week from today. So if you've been thinking about uh, doing that, picking up one of the slips, you need to do it before you leave today and then do the shopping this week and bring it in next Sunday, okay? All right. Page number eight in our series, When We Have to Choose, and this is about decision-making and making our decisions, small and large, in light of the will of God. And we've tried to show that the will of God, contrary to what many of us have been taught over the years, contrary to what many of us have come to believe, the will of God is, is not this mysterious thing that you have to hunt for. We use language like finding God's will. And God has not hidden His will. God has revealed His will. He's made it known. So God's will, what He wants us to be involved with, He has made quite clear. And what we have to do then is make choices that are in line with what God has made known about His plan for us, what He is carrying out in His world. So we need to know what that is, have it firmly in mind so that when we choose big decisions and small decisions, we're doing so in light of the plan that God has for us in His world. But many Christians, unfortunately, have not taken the time to think about why we're here. What is it that God wants us to do? And then backing off from why we're here, then fit their choices into that. And make determinations about the value of those choices, the wisdom of those choices, based upon whether they advance or retard movement toward that, that purpose. So in order for all that to fall together, you've got to know why we're here. What has God put us here for? What has He made known? What has He revealed? What is His will for us in his, his world. And that's what we're going to look at today. Top of page 8, we started last week with begin with the end in mind. And we saw last week that the general end, the general purpose, the general objective that God has at all times and at all places for all people in His world is this, to bring glory to Himself. So if you are ever asked, what's the purpose for anything? <laughs> if you say the glory of God, then that'll be a right answer. Because everything is for the purpose and is intended for the purpose of bringing glory to God. But what is that? What is the glory of God? And last week we looked at that. If you were not here, if you've not been here for the prior sessions, all of our stuff is recorded at our website. So our 9.30 hour messages are recorded. These are recorded as well. So I encourage you to go and listen to those. Last week we saw that the glory of God is the display of His character. So God's purpose at all times, His objective at all times and all places, and He has made all people to display His character. That's why He made one creature of all the creatures that He made in a unique way. Humanity is made in His image. And so humanity is able to reflect God's character back to God. 
we're able to do that. We were made to do that. But because of sin, the mirrors that we were made to be, to display God, to God and in His world, those mirrors are cracked because of sin. They need to be repaired. God's in the repair process for those of us who have come to Jesus. And we are day by day becoming more, being conformed, Romans chapter 8 and verse 30, into the image of His Son. So what is God's glory? It's the display of His character. Okay, how does that help me make decisions? God has chosen to display His character different ways at different times in history. So as you read Scripture, you see that just a cursory reading of Scripture, just go through quickly, you will see that God has interacted in different ways with people at different times in order for those people to display His character. Let me just start at the very beginning. God sets a man and a woman in a garden. He gives them instructions. Those instructions include a prohibition against eating from the fruit of a particular tree. Now this is God pursuing His glory as every action He takes is designed to do. But He's doing it in a different way, isn't He? You've never been to Eden. You've never seen the tree. Neither have I. But Adam and Eve did. So that's one example of God pursuing His glory at a, in a different way at a different period of time. Well, they sin. We know the story, right? And as you read, cursory reading through the Bible, you find that there are other ways in which God commanded, revealed, made known how it is that His creatures are to display His character, give glory to Him in His world. And one of those was through the forming of a nation. Out of all the nations of the earth, God called out a nation, Israel, to be a people of His very own. And He made them into a political entity, a nation. He gave them a law to, to govern them, not just the Ten Commandments, but all of the 613 laws that comprised the law and the penalties that go with it. They were a political entity, a nation. They were, to, they were to display God's character in the way they went about their behavior, in the way they went about their daily lives, and God gave them explicit instructions about that. So it's all God pursuing His glory, but He's doing it different ways at different times. We're not a, we're not a literal political nation. We don't have 613 laws that are the governing document of our... So it's different for you and me now. A cursory reading of the Bible, you see that God is pursuing His glory, yes, but He's doing it different ways. And so how is He doing that now? Well, we're, that's what we're going to see, how He's doing that now. Today, we're going to see how He's doing that in this age. But then in the future, the Bible teaches, there's going to be a kingdom. Jesus is going to return. He's going to be on a throne in Jerusalem. And He is going to reign from that throne in Jerusalem for a millennium, a thousand years. Revelation chapter 20. Well, that's going to be different than it is now. But it's still all God pursuing His glory, the display of His character in His world. So the point is just a cursory reading of the Bible. God is displaying His character. He is seeking His glory, but He is doing so different ways at different times in history.
How's he doing that now? And the Bible has not left us to guess at all about that. The Bible has made quite clear for us how it is that God is carrying out his, his work in his world. And I'd like, to, uh, I'd like to, to show that to you. Bottom then of page 8. Just before Roman numeral 2 there, our life on this earth is to be consumed with the pursuit of God through knowledge of Him and through bringing honor to His name through our lives. To that end, God has given us a mission in 2013. And your mission, should you choose to accept it, that's in quotes. You all remember from Mission Impossible and the tape recorder will self-destruct in. All right? So this sheet of paper will self-destruct in 10 seconds. But your mission, should you choose to accept it, God has clearly revealed in the Bible what He wants us to accomplish. The work that God has for us in His world is no mystery. In fact, many of us know Jesus' last words on earth before He ascended back to heaven. We know those words as what we call the Great Commission. And yet we often adopt a truncated view of the mission. It just means telling people about Jesus, and so we therefore fail to see our unique role in the vehicle that God has provided to carry that out, namely the local church. So if you want to begin to get a hint at what God's doing in His world now, I've already given you that hint, that God has established an entity, an institution, the church, through which He is pursuing His glory. And you and I need to find our place within that and make our decisions in life around that. So if you want to know what the end is, what the objective is, it's the glory of God. But then how is the glory of God being pursued at this time in history? I want to make the case to you that it's through, it's through the church. Now, you see at the bottom of page 8, see Appendix A for a thorough examination. And I would like for us to do a thorough examination. So take a look at page 31, which is Appendix A. This is of such importance that we need to take the time to make sure that we understand it. Now, those who have been here for a while, you have heard once or twice me go through the biblical mission so that we understand that God is pursuing His glory in a particular way now through a particular entity, namely the, the church. But... We have to have that firmly in mind in order to make our decisions in a wise way. And so I hope you'll stay with me, even if you're vaguely familiar with what I'm going to, to go through. Page 31, Appendix A. Evangelicals, that would include us, you know, it's people who believe the gospel is what that means, are known for their zeal in pursuing the spread of the gospel. In fact, the very word evangelical is derived from a Greek noun, euangelion, translated gospel. So you... You know the prefix you, a eulogy. If you do a eulogy at a funeral, you're saying good words about an individual. A euphemism is substituting something good-sounding for something that might otherwise not be so. So that prefix you means good, and angelion, we get angel or messenger from it. So euangelion, good message. Or that's why we say the gospel is the good news, euangelion. Therefore, an evangelical can be defined as one who believes and proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ. But many mistakenly believe this is the end. But the mere proclamation of the gospel message is not fulfillment of the Great Commission. Obedience to Jesus' command that we call the Great Commission 
requires, quote, baptizing and, quote, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Isn't that what Jesus said? All authority has been given to me. Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus gives these commands to his first followers just before he ascends back to the Father. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Jesus' last words, according to Matthew, and he ascends back to the Father. So we truncate that, if we're not careful, to say what Jesus said is for us to proclaim the good news. He definitely included that in his final words, his commission to his first followers and by extension to us to the very end of the age. It's absolutely foundational and indispensable. It's just incomplete. Because there's the proclamation of the message, but then there's baptizing those disciples. And there's teaching those disciples what? Everything that I've commanded you. So it involves much more than simply giving the gospel. Implicit in Jesus' words is the indispensable role of the church in his mission. And so, for, for example, Jesus has baptized them into what are they baptized? Acts chapter 2, verse 41, that I've referenced there, they were baptized, and then it says 3,000 were added to the church on that day, the church in Jerusalem. So it's implicit, but I want to make it explicit. And the last sentence in that first paragraph is, we will see the church's implicit role in the Great Commission becomes explicit as the apostles begin to carry out the Great Commission. And this is recorded for us in Scripture. So... If we'll follow their story now, as Jesus gives them this, these final instructions, we will see that he has given this commission to his followers, and he is designed for that to be carried out through the agency of the church. That's what I want you to see. So the rest of the story. The most well-known statement of the Great Commission is the one that I've quoted, Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, that you see listed there. But it may come as a surprise that this is not the only biblical statement of the Great Commission. Luke also, in addition to Matthew, records Jesus' final instructions to his followers. Now, we're going to look at Luke's, and we're going to look at, uh, we're going to look at uh, uh, Matthew's as well. Both statements of Jesus, as recorded by these, these uh, two, of his uh, final instructions to his apostles. I want you to do this, if you would. I want you to underline or circle from Matthew 28, 19, and 20 one word, and then I'm going to have you do the same thing from Luke 24. The word in Matthew 28 is baptizing. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing. So if you'll just circle, underline, remember the word baptizing, because you're going to see it again. And then Luke 24. Now in Luke 24, just I'm just reminding you all, the first four books of your New Testament are called, they're a special category called the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. They're a special category because they deal with the life and ministry of Jesus when he walked the earth. So unlike the other 23 books of your New Testament that deal with the after, after the life and ministry of Jesus, those deal with while he was on the earth. 
While he taught what he did, they record that. Matthew has 28 chapters, and the last two verses of the 28th chapter are verses 19 and 20. So at the end of Jesus' ministry, after he has healed people and he has taught and he has died on the cross and he has risen, he now gives these final instructions and he says what's in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, and that includes you're going to make disciples by baptizing. So just remember baptizing. And then in Luke 24, same thing. Luke is giving his account, includes some episodes that Matthew did not, has some that Matthew did with some details that Matthew did not include and vice versa. And he comes to the end of his version of the life and times of Jesus when he walked the earth. And it's after he has taught and healed and raised from the dead and he's given final instructions and there are 24 chapters and this is the last one. So when you come to Luke 24, you're at the exact same spot in the chronology that you are in Matthew 28. The end of Jesus' earthly ministry before he ascends back to the Father. But here's what Luke records him as saying. He told them, middle of page 31, this is what is written, the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins shall be preached in his name to all nations. Beginning at Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. So Luke is at the exact same spot that Matthew was just before Jesus ascends back to heaven. This is a statement of the Great Commission. You're going to go to all nations, both of them say. But I say in that paragraph, Luke offers some additional details. It's not just make disciples, baptize, and teach them, but Luke tells us this. The content of what you are going to say, what you're going to preach, is going to be these two things, repentance and forgiveness of sins. So I asked you to circle, underline, remember from Matthew 28, the word baptizing. In Luke 24, I want you to circle, underline, remember those two things repentance and forgiveness of sins. Here's why. We're going to see them again in just a bit. So baptizing, repentance, forgiveness of sins. So he tells us that's going to be the content. You're going to tell people to repent and that, and that Christ provides forgiveness of sins. He also tells us it's going to start, even though it's going to go to all nations, here's where it's going to start. It's going to start in Jerusalem. Stay in the city. What city? until you receive power. So here's where it's going to start, and then it's going to spread out to all nations. And thirdly, the apostles are to wait in Jerusalem until they receive power to start, to inaugurate this mission. So did the apostles receive that promised power? And indeed, begin that mission from Jerusalem? Well, here's how we get the rest of the story. Matthew 28, Luke 24, the end of the earthly ministry of Jesus, he ascends back to the Father. Where does it pick up? Fifth book of your New Testament, book of Acts. So named for the actions, the activities, the acts of the apostles. Who are these apostles? The guys he was speaking to and saying, this is what you're going to do. Go to Jerusalem, wait to receive power, and you're going to begin here carrying out a mission that's ultimately going to go to all nations. And so we have a fifth book of your Bible called the Acts of Those Guys. And what they did, the Acts of the Apostles. Who wrote it? Who wrote Acts? Luke. How do we know Luke wrote Acts? Because 
both books are addressed to the same uh, person. In Luke chapter 1 and verse 3, verses 3 and 4, Luke says, I'm giving you this account of the life and ministry of Jesus, Theophilus, he says. I'm addressing this account, 24 chapters of the life and ministry of Jesus, the gospel of Luke. I, Luke, am writing this to someone named Theophilus. Who is that? I don't know. I know Theos means God. I know philos means love. So whoever this is, their name means lover of God. And Luke wrote his gospel to somebody whose name means lover of God. And then the book of Acts begins, Acts chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus. That's how it starts, in my former book. Now what was his former book? The former book is the Gospel of Luke. In my former book, the Gospel of Luke, Theophilus, I wrote to you about all that Jesus began to do and teach. That's what verse 1 says. All that Jesus began to do and teach. Now what does that imply to you? Jesus began some stuff, but it hasn't ended. And so now I'm going to give you the rest of the story. What Jesus began is now continuing. By giving, verse 2 of Acts chapter 1, instructions to his holy apostles. Acts chapter 1 and verse 2. That's what Luke says. So Theophilus, in my former book, the Gospel of Luke, I told you about all that Jesus began. Until he was taken up to heaven and he gave instructions to his holy apostles. What instructions were those holy, that he gave to those holy apostles? The Great Commission. And down in verse 8, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, Luke actually records, summarizes what Jesus told them again just to bring us up to speed because I now, Luke, am going to pick up where we left off and show you the rest of the story. So in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, he picks up where he left off and he says, Jesus said to them, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and then spreading out to Judea and Samaria and to all nations, the uttermost part of the earth. And having regrouped, having said, okay, this is where we left off, Theophilus, now I want to tell you the rest of the, the story. When last we left you, <laughs> the apostles were gaping up into heaven. They were watching Jesus go back to the Father. They had just been given these instructions to go to the city and wait for power. And guess where you find them? In Acts chapter 1, they're in an upper room in the city of Jerusalem waiting. Now, how long have they been waiting? They've been waiting for about a week. How do I know this? Because Acts chapter 2 and verse 1, Acts 2 and verse 1 says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come. So that's Luke giving you a time marker. We're at the day of Pentecost. And that time marker helps us this way. Pentecost means 50. And Pentecost was a feast in the first part of your Bible, the Old Testament, that took place 50 days after Passover. When was Jesus crucified? Passover. So we are 50 days after Jesus was crucified. He was three days in the grave. We've got 47 days to account for. 
And Acts chapter 1 and verse 3 says that Jesus showed himself alive after he rose for 40 days. So three days in the grave, 40 days alive after he rose, showing people, and then he gives these instructions, and then he goes back to the Father. That's 43 days. So they've been waiting in Jerusalem for about a week for the power to begin this mission that's going to start in Jerusalem. Everybody good? And then you come to Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all gathered together and in one accord. And the Bible says they heard the sound of a rushing mighty wind. And then as you read that account, it is the coming of the power that Jesus promised. The Holy Spirit. To enable them now to do what Jesus has given them the mission to do. And the Bible says, this was evidenced by people speaking in tongues that they had never learned. Speaking in languages they had never learned. And Luke tells us in Acts chapter 2 why this whole kind of crazy tongue thing is happening. And I, I say kind of crazy <laughs> with authority because some who were there heard them and said, are they drunk? You guys remember that? So when I say kind of crazy, they thought it was kind of crazy. And Peter has to give an explanation of it. But before Peter stands up and gives an explanation of what's happening, Luke gives us this comment. He says, now there were staying in Jerusalem people from every nation under heaven. Now, do you remember that Jesus said this mission is going to start in Jerusalem, but it's going to go where? To every nation. And the reason that this thing starts in Jerusalem, where at the Feast of Pentecost, you have these people gathered from all of these nations, and now these first apostles are speaking in the languages of these other nations, is to signify this thing is starting... It's starting now, and it's going to go around the world. So they speak in languages they never learned. But they speak in languages that those people knew. The account in Acts chapter 2 is quite clear. They, the people say, how do we hear these men speaking in our, does anybody remember? In our what? Our own language. So just as a side, you all know I grew up Pentecostal. And I saw lots and lots and lots of speaking in tongues. But I didn't see any speaking in tongues like it's described in Acts chapter 2. The speaking in tongues that I saw was people speaking languages that they didn't understand and the people hearing them did not understand. That is not what happened in Acts chapter 2. The people who spoke were having a miracle done through them. They're speaking a language they had not learned. But it was a real, live, honest-to-goodness language. And they were communicating, and people say, we hear them speaking in our own language. So if you ever hear anybody say, I'm speaking in tongues, but they're speaking in a language that they don't understand and nobody else understands, then they're not speaking in tongues the way it's done in the Bible. So Luke says there are all these people from every nation and God signifies this thing is starting and it is going to go to every nation by this miracle of people of the apostles speaking in tongues. It's crazy enough that Peter stands up and gives an explanation. And in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 14, 
Peter stands up and he says, men of Israel. And he gives this explanation of all that's been transpiring in the weeks prior. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited accredited to you by God. And he goes on to say about Jesus and what he did. But you with wicked hands, you slew him. You killed him, but God has raised him. And he is now alive, showing that he is both Lord and Christ. Verse 36. And you get down to verse 37, Acts chapter 2. And the people who were there, this is what Luke records. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said, what shall we do? And in verse 37, here's what Peter says. Repent. Now, where have you seen the word repent before? In Luke chapter 24. Repent and be baptized. Where have you seen baptized before? Matthew 28. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Where have you seen forgiveness of sins? Luke 24. So in one verse, Acts 2 and verse 37, you have the beginning of the Great Commission. Starting in Jerusalem, and then it's going to spread out Judea and Samaria and to all nations. The power has come. Peter has those elements from Matthew, baptizing from Luke, repentance and forgiveness of sins. They are all there in that one verse, Acts 2.37. Clearly, Luke is tying this now to Jesus' final words to his apostles. It's starting. Now, just as an aside, if you look at Acts 2.37, repent and be baptized every one of you for the forgiveness of your sins. Be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Yikes. Because that sounds like until you get baptized, your sins aren't forgiven. And some of you here are waiting to get baptized until we get a baptistry. So your sins aren't forgiven until we get a tank here, right? That's the way that can sound. So what's the story with that? You know, Luke says, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And the key word in that verse is the preposition for, which is a, a Greek preposition Ace, E-I-S. And the Greek preposition ace can mean one of two things. Because of or in order to. Because of or in order to. We do the same thing with the word for in English. Uh, If I say, go to the store, will you go to the store for a gallon of milk? I'm saying go to the store in order to get a gallon of milk, right? But if I say, um, George Zimmerman could have been thrown in jail for a crime, I'm not saying he would be thrown in jail in order to commit a crime. He'd be thrown in jail because of a crime that already happened, right? So sometimes it's in order that, other times it's because of. And when Peter says, be baptized every one of you 
because of the forgiveness of sins. Not in order to get your sins forgiven, but because your sins have been forgiven. Now be baptized. So repentance, forgiveness of sins, baptizing. All in this one verse, the Great Commission has started. It started in Jerusalem. And if you look at the top of page 32, the elements of the Great Commission from Matthew and Luke, they're all there. Recorded here in the first Christian sermon, followed by an appeal that is based directly on Jesus' command just a few weeks earlier, baptizing, repentance, forgiveness of sins, they're all there. But note as well now, coordinate with the beginning of the Great Commission is the beginning of the church. So I think everybody's good now. We beat that to death. The Great Commission started on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem, and now it's going to spread. But now I want you to see that at the same time the commission started, this thing called the church started as well. And in order for the commission to go forward, you've got to have the church. Now look at the quote I have for you there. You see the footnote 36. Um, that's from Charles Ryrie's Survey of Bible Doctrine. The principal evidence the church began on the day of Pentecost concerns the baptizing work of the Holy Spirit. The Lord declared this particular and distinctive ministry of the Spirit was still future just before He ascended, so it had not happened yet when Jesus ascended to the Father. On the day of Pentecost, it happened for the first time, according to Acts chapter 11. Peter says there, the baptizing of the household of Cornelius is the same baptizing of the Spirit that happened to us, quote, in the beginning. So the baptizing of the Spirit happened in the beginning, first time, day of Pentecost. Now, what is it, middle of that paragraph, that the spirit, spirit baptism does? The answer to this is found in 1 Corinthians 12, 13. It places the believer in the body of Christ. Since this is the only way to enter the body by the baptizing work of the Spirit, and since this work of the Spirit first occurred on Pentecost, then it's obvious that the church, the body of Christ, began on the day of Pentecost. So the church begins on the day of Pentecost with this thing called the baptizing of the Spirit that brings one into the body of Christ. But Pentecost was only the beginning. That's Acts chapter 2. Now it continues for 26 more chapters. Middle of page 32. The identification of the advance of the Great Commission with the progress of the church is seen in the way the book of Acts is structured. Luke's account makes it clear that the apostles understood the the Great Commission to be centered on the church. Now, how so? Notice what the Bible Knowledge Commentary says. The outline of this study is the result of using two keys in the book of Acts. The first and most obvious is the theme verse of the book of Acts is chapter 1 and verse 8. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then the second is the use that Luke makes, now please notice this, of progress reports that are sprinkled throughout the 28 chapters. And there are seven progress reports, and the references for those seven progress reports are listed there. So it starts in Jerusalem. The church begins in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, as does the Great Commission, at the same time. And then as the mission moves forward, out from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and to the capital city of Rome, by the time you get to Acts chapter 28, it is all advanced through the agency of the church. 
That's what these progress reports show you. Bottom of page 32, Luke's intention to chronicle the expansion of the Great Commission is seen in the first chapter. The progress reports make it clear that the advance of the commission is coextensive with the progress of the church. One of those progress reports is chapter 9 and verse 31. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Spirit, grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. Another of those progress reports says, So the churches were strengthened in the faith, grew in numbers. Chapter 19 and verse 20, In this way, that is Paul's missionary journeys, the word of the Lord spread widely and it grew in power. So you've got the beginning of the mission, the beginning of the church, they happen at the same time, and they spread together. That's the fifth book in your Bible, book of Acts. And in that fifth, fifth book, the actions of the apostles, a guy emerges that is going to be central to the rest of the New Testament. Saul of Tarsus, known to most of us as Paul. And Saul is introduced in Acts chapter 7 as one of the first followers of Jesus is martyred, stoned to death, Stephen. And the Bible says that there was a young man named Saul who held the coats of those who threw the stones and in so doing he was consenting to his death. He approved of the death of Stephen. He's not a Christian, obviously. He opposes Christianity. He persecutes the church. In Acts chapter 9, he is on his way to Damascus to kill Christians. And he has an encounter with Jesus of Nazareth then. And this man is turned around, literally. And he comes to Jesus and he becomes God's special agent to declare God's plan in this age for his people to bring glory to him. And how is it going to happen? It's going to happen, lo and behold, through the church. And that's why on page 33, I call it Paul's resume. The central figure God used to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth was Paul. At his spectacular conversion in Acts chapter 9 and verse 15, the Lord says of Paul, He's my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles. In Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 9, Paul tells us that his job description included another important component, quote, to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery which for ages past was kept hidden in God. Paul identified what that, quote, mystery was a few verses earlier. In verse 6 of Ephesians 3, the mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, the church, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. So Paul says, part of what God gave me to do was to make plain to everyone the administration of this, this thing called the church. Now in that next paragraph, I explain what administration is. The word translated in the NIV, administration, sometimes translated dispensation in the King James. The Greek word is oikonomos. Oikos means house, namos means law or rule. Oikonomos means house law or house rule. And here's the idea. God has a big house, 
and he rules it. He sets the rules for the house. He administers his house. He orders his house in a particular way. In Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 2, Paul refers to this age as the house order of God's grace. And so sometimes you'll hear pastors refer to this as the age of grace or sometimes the church age. It signifies that God has now in this arrangement, this house order, this dispensation, arranged his plan around the church. In the words of Paul in, again, Ephesians 3, God's intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. So God calls him and says, you're going to preach, proclaim my name to the Gentiles, and you are going to explain how the church fits into my house order. And in that next paragraph, that third paragraph, it's all about how Paul then, from the road to Damascus, he goes and takes three years to be taught directly by Jesus. Wouldn't you love to sit in on those sessions? But he gets three years being taught directly by Jesus about what Jesus' plan is, and then Paul goes and proclaims the gospel to the Gentiles and also writes letters to explain the administration, how it's going to be carried out. And in his own ministry, he goes about proclaiming the truth to the Gentiles and establishing, now this is important, establishing churches in every town he goes to. So the Great Commission is moving forward and the church is moving forward and you don't have one without the other. And Paul establishes these churches as recorded in the book of Acts and the bulk, the remainder of your New Testament is primarily Paul writing letters back to those churches that he established in the book of Acts. That's what that third paragraph is all about. In fact, if you look at the fourth paragraph, Paul's epistles are, his letters are in large part a response to the reports that he received as a result of checking back on the church's progress. So he was compelled to write to the church at Corinth in order to correct errors that were reported to him. The bulk of the New Testament, from the Great Commission through the book of Acts and the letters of Paul, is centered on the advance of the church, and therefore David Hesselgrave summarizes the mission, the Great Commission, this way. You see it at the bottom of page 33. The primary mission of the church, and therefore of the church is, is to proclaim the gospel of Christ and gather believers into local visible churches where they can be built up in the faith, made effective in service, and thereby planting new congregations throughout the world. And that's precisely how the Great Commission, where people are baptized and taught to observe everything that Jesus has commanded, that's how that moves forward. So God tells us the Great Commission is to be carried out until the end of the age, and the vehicle that he established in order for that to happen is the church. The Great Commission goes forward as the church advances. So one author has said this, there should be no such thing as a missionless church and also no such thing as a churchless mission. Every mission endeavor should seek to strengthen and spread the, the church. Now, what's that do for you and me? We're done. But what's that do for you and me in decision-making? God's pursuing His glory. He does it different ways at different times. 
His intent is that now his glory will be pursued in his world through the mission that he has given by the advance of his church. So how do you fit into that? How do I fit into that? We've got to then ask ourselves some questions about our participation in this thing called the church. What has God given me, what has God endowed me with in order to see the mission go forward through the agency of the church. We're, we're really going to quit, but look at the top of page 9. If you go back to page 9. And we'll pick up here next week. When Paul wrote to the entire congregation, the leaders and the people at the church, city of Philippi, He commended them for their commitment to the biblical mission this way. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. So how do you fit into that? How do I fit into that? How do we fit into this mission that God's carrying out in His world through His church? We, like the church at Philippi, are called to participate. How do you participate? How do we together participate to make that happen? That's what we want to look at. So you can see how you fit into that grand scheme. And then we can back off from that to say, how do I make my decisions, small and large, around the advance of that mission? We'll do that beginning next week. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for the opportunity to look at the plan that you have laid out in your word for the ages. And Lord, for this particular age, we thank you that you have not left us without light, but you have instructed us as to what you are accomplishing in your world and how you are accomplishing it and what our role is in that plan. Lord, help us to see clearly that you have gifted each of us for us to significantly participate in that work, to order our lives around the pursuit of your glory through the mission that you've given us. Help us to ponder that this week. Help us to think about the way we've arranged our lives and whether they're arranged to advance or to retard or just be neutral toward the mission that you've assigned to us. And then in the coming weeks, Lord, help us to gain insight from your word about what you've called us to and then how in particular each of us can see the gifting and the abilities that you have prepared for us to be used in the advance of your mission to bring glory to yourself. Go with us this week. We ask you, bring us back safely next Lord's Day. In Jesus' name, amen.